Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option. I'm Chris Sork, along here with D. Lou. As we look to review uh, the West Virginia game, not a great game for K-State there, uh, but we've got a great show for you lined up this week uh, as we review the West Virginia game. Uh, we bring our first guest on the short side option with Ian Boyd uh, inside Texas at SB Nation and Sports Treatise. Uh, he will be here to preview the Texas game. Uh, then we will give our thoughts on the Texas game before ra- wrapping up uh, this week's edition of the short side option with this week's Wildcat legend, and Ask the Icon. Uh, but first, before we get too far into uh, the podcast, before we start our West Virginia uh, review, I'm going to hand it over here to Delu, who has some information about a, a great cause that's upcoming with Fatty Fest on October 20th. That's right, Chris. There's a very special event coming up that's close to the hearts of you and I, uh, and it's a great time for a great cause. That's Fatty Fest on Saturday, October 20th. It's a charity event to benefit Hale Library's first floor renovation and is in memory of our good friend, Shwan Fatty Al-Khatib. Fatty was a great K-Stater, and if you haven't seen the birth of K-State football on YouTube, then go ahead and pause the show right now. Uh, search for it on YouTube. Go watch those perfect 10 minutes that uh, Shwan created, and then come back. Welcome back. Um, back to Fatty Fest. Uh, Fatty Fest this year is actually three great events in one. Uh, First at 11 a.m. in City Park at the Rose Garden, there is, for the first time ever, a scavenger hunt. This will include some puzzles that only true townies and residents of the agricultural village will be able to solve, as well as some feats of strength and folly. This is an all-ages event, and tickets for it can be purchased in advance at fattyfund.org. In addition to the scavenger hunt, there will be a trivia competition at Annie Mae's Parlor run by the great Jeff Cruiser, the host of Trivia Smackdown. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Wednesday Night Trivia Smackdown or Annie Mae's, you know that space is extremely limited and reserved spots for teams are going extremely quickly. So if you want to be part of this, there's a special price for advanced tickets that will get you a combo ticket to both the scavenger hunt and the trivia competition. You can only get this at fattyfund.org for a limited time. Spots, again, are very limited. There will be prizes and a trophy for the scavenger hunt. There is a title belt for the winners of the trivia competition, which, Chris, I have won before. I actually won the first Fatty Fest. Wow. Uh, But there are a lot of great K-Staters there. I know the KSO guys are going to be there. And it is, again, a charity event with 100% of the proceeds going to the Hale Library first floor expansion project. Lastly, during the trivia at Annie Mays, there is a concurrent silent auction with some great items being auctioned off. There are some great, unique K-State items with some uh, unique experiences mixed in as well. Some Royals items, just a great mix of stuff. So uh, at, a mem- at a minimum, go ahead and check that out. If you can't make it, please consider donating to this great cause to benefit Kansas State students for years and years to come by providing first-class study uh, and meeting spaces as part of the first floor expansion at K-State. Again, that's fattyfun.org for tickets and more information. And Chris, I could tell you today I was looking back at some of Fatty's posts. That is some of the funniest, most enlightening, just quintessential uh, K-State message boarding from the height of the era, in my opinion. So I think we both, uh, you were probably a little bit further uh, you know, a little bit earlier, a bit of a first arriver uh, when it comes to the two of us in terms of getting on the K-State message boards. But I remember I started getting on, 
you know, pretty heavily, uh, I would say probably 2005. And Fatty, of course, had been had been there way before uh, before us, and he uh, he was not only a, a great uh, fun person to you know interact with online, uh, but his videos are really a work of art. And it's I can't tell you how many times, not only myself but uh, you know I've showed my friends, and I, I know that those videos are held in high regard by you know many people here at K State. I'm sure if even if you haven't, even if you didn't know it was. Uh, one of Fatty's videos, I'm sure you've seen him. You know, it's one of those things. I think most people listening here, whether they know it or not, have have you know come across those. Yeah, and that's I was thinking about that today actually. And it it's even if you don't know it, your K State fandom has been influenced by Fatty. Just sure. either directly if you were on the message boards, or indirectly if uh, you know you're you you've definitely seen the videos and. It, Extremely influential for a lot of people, and and, uh, and Fatty Fest is a great celebration of Fatty, and it's a great cause. Absolutely. Well, I will uh, be sure to be donating to that. I won't be able to make it this year, unfortunately, uh, but a great cause, and I hope that they have nothing but a great turnout uh, there for Fatty Fest. Uh, fattyfund.org, was that correct? That's right. Fattyfund.org for further information. Uh, we'll be sure to keep you posted on any uh, further details that come as part of that great cause. So as we uh, transition off of Fatty Fest onto, uh, I, you know, maybe we can just keep talking about Fatty Fest. If we can just bypass this West Virginia game. I was thinking we could uh, start a basketball preview uh, for the next eight or nine weeks and just uh, ride out, ride out into the into Bruce. How about media days today for the K State basketball? Team? Oh man, I, let's that uh, that got people. I you know, the K State fan base right now needs a little bit of good news and some uplifting news, and you know I don't think they have to learn. They don't have to look much further than K State men's basketball team. Well, don't look have you don't have to look much further than the bell cow's uh, biceps. Ooh. He's huge. Woo! McCall. Dude, he is gonna be alone. You saw some last year against uh, against KU in the Big Twelve Championship game where he he dropped a thirty spot, or I think he had twenty nine. He just missed a thirty spot. But uh, he's gonna have people mooing in the stands uh, all a- absolutely all, right all season. Absolutely right. Well, uh, we'll get in here to the West Virginia review. It was uh, a tough game for K State. Uh, you know, looked all right in the first quarter. Uh, got a couple turnovers and uh, you know. Created four West Virginia turnovers throughout uh, the game. Uh, one coming late, kind of in garbage time with a late interception. Uh, but I thought the defense played pretty well. But when the offense isn't helping you out and you're going three and out and getting right back on the field, it's tough for any defense in the country uh, to be able to win with that formula, especially against a, a team that's as high-powered as West Virginia is on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, it's uh, it it was the same story but a different chapter on uh, on Saturday because again couldn't find a way to run at all. I mean the offensive line again get, getting zero getting zero push at the point of attack. Rushing K State again failed to get more than a hundred yards. Finished with ninety one yards rushing on thirty six attempts. Um, you know. It, and this, the play everybody talks about, the, the, the sequence everybody talks about is the third down failed quarterback sneak in the second quarter when K-State's down seven points. 
and then we hurry up. We don't get it on third down. We hurry up back to the line, and it looks like we're going to sneak again. And whether it was an audible or not, we try the option to the long side, the wide side. Terrible play call. Should have ended the short side. Maybe would have got it. But then that gets stuffed, and then West Virginia goes on to score two touchdowns there in about the last six minutes or so of the half. And that's really where things got out of hand, uh, or started to get out of hand at least. And it's just a microcosm of the struggles K-State's offense has had all year. Yeah, that uh, that failed fourth down conversion. I believe the the situation unfolded like this. We got third down. A third, it was third and short. Didn't get the didn't get on the first quarterback sneak. Believe that we, uh, I believe we lined up for another play. Called a timeout. Came back out, and uh, guarantee you, I would bet any amount of money on this that I have that the play call was quarterback sneak again, and uh, there was some. Audibling going on at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Skylar Thompson uh, checked to a to an option play, and it was stuffed. That, like you said, allowed West Virginia to get a uh, a twenty one nothing lead going into halftime, which K State could have played till Thursday. And I don't think they would have scored twenty one points against that West Virginia defense. So at that point, the game was essentially won right there. Well, you know, just to Fight back a little. Had they played till Thursday, that defense has to sleep at some point. <laughs> they might, they, they could have just they could have just tiptoed into the end zone if they were quiet enough. Yeah, if they were quiet enough, maybe they could have. That's yeah. a, that's a good point. You know, you're always a step ahead of them. Yep, you gotta you gotta think about that. But no, that would have been ideal. Um, but you know, what do you make of, about Snyder's comments that have caused a lot of commotion about I can't coach a team that can't get six inches? Snyder was really caught a lot of heat for that, but you know. He's kind of right. If you can't get, if K-State cannot get half a yard in two plays, the same K-State that does the clown car formation, that did that with Jesse Ertz, I mean, if, if we can't get six inches, then it's just emblematic yeah, no of, of our lack of identity. Yeah. What do we do? What is this offense? And we're four games into the season. We still, we still don't have an answer to that question. Yep, you're you're absolutely right. It's uh, I think that is a moment right there, probably of frustration. I think I think Coach Snyder even later in the week, you know, clarified his comments saying, you know, so and so didn't mean to call anyone out necessarily, yada yada yada. However, I think that you're gonna see that that instance where Skylar Thompson uh, changed out of the pl- changed out of the uh, out of the quarterback sneak. That, I think, was the tipping point for Coach Snyder, who's going to be making the change with Alex Delton. Now, at quarterback, the story's been well covered, and we'll get into that later uh, here in the podcast. But it uh, looks like it's going to be Alex Delton this week against Texas, and I don't think you have to look any further than that as the, the final tipping point that allowed Coach Snyder to make the decision that it's going to be Alex Delton, uh, that Alex Delton's going to at least get getting a shot here as a, as a starter against Texas. Yeah, and... And you're probably right that that that, that audible call uh, played into that decision, but you know it, it should have the first down should have been made on third down, 
Sure. And sure. And if it didn't get made on third down, then smash into the line again. Yeah. And nobody talks about this if the option actually works. Sure. And I don't have a problem with Snyder being upset that that the execution wasn't there to move the pile forward six inches. But I also think there's something to be said for, you know, the the buck stops with you, coach. If these players can't, if you have a team that can't get six inches, then whose fault is that? Because th- these players didn't just show up at K-State. These yeah. aren't, aren't all walk-ons. If the team can't, isn't capable of getting six inches, then maybe you should have gone out and recruited a team that's capable of getting six inches. And so whether it's whether it's a lack of talent or a lack of execution, the buck stops with the coach. And I think I under, I don't have a problem with him being frustrated, but I think he might be needing to point, look inward a little bit to say, well, why can't this team get six inches? Who is responsible for having a team that can't get six inches? And the buck ultimately stops with Bill. Absolutely. It, there's no question it does. And that's why I think he's going with Alex Delton is his preference has all been all along to go with Alex Delton and it's it's been reported by you know several outlets Kellis Robinette had a very nice article in the KC Star and Wichita Eagle uh, detailing it's been the offensive coordinator's preference to have uh, Skylar Thompson be the quarterback it's always been coach Snyder's preference to have Alex Delton as quarterback and the buck ultimately does stop with coach Snyder and I don't think uh, I think that you can say, you know, looking at him asserting his asserting his hand here a little bit that with Alex Delton, he's taking responsibility and, you know, hell or high water, he's going to run things the way he wants to now. Well, I can, you know, I can... Whether that's the best decision or not, who knows? Right. We'll, we'll in, see. In the, the odd dynamic here that I think, I know that I've become frustrated with and it's reached a boiling point, um, particularly in the last week or so. But I think it's a lot of K State fans are frustrated with it. Is that you know we Bill Snyder's in a position where he's not really risking anything personally by going with Delton because maybe it's the right decision, maybe not. But if it's not, he's not going to get fired for it. Like, oh sure. For like yeah. for a lot of for most college coaches, a decision they they don't have the luxury of of replacing the quarterback with whoever they fancy and knowing that there's not going to be any real consequence if it goes sideways. But Snyder is so ingratiated at this point with the administration and the stadium's aimed after him. He has a highway, he has a statue. He's basically Teflon at this point at K-State. And so if he is making the wrong decision... I'm not not saying he is or not, but if he is, then it's okay because there's next year. He can write the ship next year, or the next year after that, or the next year after that, or for as next, long as he wants. For as long as he wants, and to. that's that's the danger of hiring a coach that you can't fire. Sure, and because it, it really ties your hands, and so we'll see. I, hopefully, it works out. Hopefully, <laughs> Delton turns his season around because he certainly hasn't been good, which isn't to say that Thompson has been, you know, yeah. Graham Harrell out there. Yeah, I, I, I want to just, you know, go back here and say something too. I, when I'm saying that, you know, that Snyder making the 
change to Delton. I'm not necessarily saying that Skylar Thompson has done anything wrong. I think he's played, you know, I don't know how you couldn't say objectively better than Skylar or than Alex Delton so far. I think that's clear to anyone that's watched K State so far this year. However, Alex Delton has had some good moments earlier in his career, so it's not that he's just some guy who's totally unproven by right. any stretch. And and if we're basing both quarterbacks on this year, then like you said, that Thompson's been better. Oh yeah, but no Thompson question. hasn't been good enough. No. I mean, which which he's still a young kid. And, yeah. you know, still a sophomore, right? A redshirt sophomore. Correct. And so, you know, he's entitled to make sophomore mistakes. But I think a lot of people are have made up their mind that Thompson is the guy, but that's put blinders on over their eyes a little bit. And it's important to recognize that Thompson has been far from perfect and far from even good enough. So at, at this point... I think my preference would still be Thompson, but really just by default because he's younger and hasn't been as bad as Delton. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later here. I I think the biggest overall theme is I don't think it matters who's a quarterback because if the offensive line continues to play like they've been playing so far and we're not able to run the ball for what we have, 91 yards against West Virginia uh, in against Mississippi State, we're pretty well shut out on the ground as well. It doesn't matter who's back there. It could be Y.A. Tittle for, you know, for all intents and purposes here. I don't see any – Oh, great. Uh, former quarterback back in the old days, New York Giants. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I, I thought I, – I misheard you. I thought you said somebody else. I, I know oh. for sure who Y.A. Tittle yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you not know who Y.A. Tittle is? He's got the iconic photo. Anyway, you know, I, you, you listen you listen to me enough, you'll, you'll pick up on some things. Yeah. Here. But, that's why uh, they call you the icon. That's right. That's right. They, that's why they do it. Uh, but I think the offense has to get better. Offensive line has to be a strong point uh, for uh, K-State here going forward because without that, it doesn't matter who's back there. No. Court, to be clear, quarterback, regardless of who's played quarterback, is like fifth or sixth on my list of concerns with the offense. But it's the only, it's the only position so far that hasn't been – Static that the coaching staff has been willing to tweak with at all. And so that's the one that gets uh, a lot of the attention. But I agree with you that unless the guys on the line in the trenches can hold their own, then the whole thing's a mess. And you or I could be back there and also score zero points in the first half against West Virginia. You know, one thing I do want to switch here to the defense – Got to give credit to them. They kept this team in the game, you know, throughout the most of the first half. But would you say that the lynch mob is? Mm-mm. No, no, they're they're gone again. They're they're on vacation. <laughs> okay, the lynch they're mob on is on lynch mob's on vacation. But uh... but I thought they did do some things well. Uh, we didn't get to see quite the first play or the first interception as. Uh, AJ Parker was able to to reel one in there uh, as as the Missouri Georgia game was just finishing up and we hadn't switched it over yet because we didn't know to so bet bet on us but we we did get to see the the replay of that but you know I I think all things considered K State's defense if you would say they would have forced four turnovers in that game you have to really like where K State's chances would be yeah but it, to be plus four did we have, we had we, no. Did yeah. we have one turnover or none? I believe we had one. 
Well, regardless, to be, yeah. this year, regardlessly, to have three this turnovers. Regardlessly, absolutely. Uh, to be plus three, at least, uh, and still get blown out the way we did. Yeah. One Justin Soman fumble was the. Uh, was oh, that's the, right. Was the turnover for K State. Yeah, just that was his only carry of the day. Yep. Hmm. Might be uh, rough day at the office for uh, not. And, you know, that's a guy that's played a lot of football for K State. You know, I've wanted to see get a little bit more of an expansive role, just because you know nothing else is really working on offense. Why not just keep throwing some other darts at the board here? Well, we tried. <laughs> when you put the ball on the turf, that's a that's a surefire way not to to uh, to get back into the to the to the lineup for very many carries. Um, so, is Drew? Is there anything else you really want to add in in terms of reviewing uh, West Virginia? We'll be talking more about the quarterback situation here a little bit later. But is there is there anything else that you're wanting to uh, to touch on here with the West Virginia game? Nope. Just other than it's just another example of our team. We said last week that in order to have success against West Virginia, we needed to be able to run the ball, and we walked it. We tried to run the ball, and I think would we get ninety one yards. Ninety one yards on thirty something carries. Yeah, that's not gonna get it done against any team, especially not a team like West Virginia. Yeah, I I thought Alex Barnes ran the ball well at the start of the second half, but you know, too little, too late. Uh, at that point, you, you know, being down twenty-one nothing, I hate to have a defeatist attitude and saying that the game was over at that point. But you know, if you were watching that game and if you've been watching K State this season, you knew twenty-one points against anybody was going to be a tall task uh, to be able to put together. And, uh, you know, this weekend against Texas, it's not going to get any easier. So we'll uh, we'll wrap up our West Virginia review part of the podcast, but we'll be coming back here uh, after the break with Ian Boyd. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, he is our first guest on here. He will be talking uh, all things Texas. He's a, a great writer for SB Nation inside Texas and Sports Treatise. Uh, you can follow his work there. Really informative guy, and he will come back after this to give us a bit of a preview and what to expect with the Texas Longhorns coming into Manhattan this Saturday. We'll be back with that after this on the Short Side Option. Now we bring on Ian Boyd, a uh, college football writer for SB Nation. Uh, you can catch him also on Inside Texas, where he covers the Longhorns, and on Sports uh, on Sports Treatise, where he uh, has all of his work there. Ian, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game this weekend. You know, it really uh, it's going to be interesting from the K State perspective. They welcome a, a Texas team that's really been putting it together with nice wins over USC and TCU the last two times out. After getting the season off, started on a bit of a slow foot against Maryland. What has been the difference for Texas these last two games? The defense has uh, been really good the last couple weeks. Um, in Week One against Maryland, they had some problems with uh, the jet sweep, as you may have seen if you watched that game. And uh, they they got beat on um, a couple play action plays and trick plays off of that, so they were really kind of sloppy in that game. Um, and then against Tulsa, they were actually pretty good on defense, other than a little period at the end where they kind of wore down and lost contain on the quarterback. And then Tulsa made a couple big plays, but 
they, uh, they had, then they actually had a, a couple big plays early that they gave up against USC, and since then they've been pretty dialed in. Um, this is actually what happened last year. They need to figure out how to start faster in the year, but last year they actually had a slow start and then shut down USC, and then they were off and rolling after that. And Ian, this similar. Sorry about that. Ian, this is uh, Drew Lewis here. Uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us anything, which I'm sure you can, about what K-State fans can expect uh, schematically from Texas's defense in uh, Coach Orlando's second year. They are a nightmare, especially if you uh, do not have a veteran quarterback that knows how to figure things out. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> this is a... The the theme of the show may be that this just doesn't this just doesn't look very good for the Wildcats this week, but um, they play they're a three four defense that plays you know nickel primarily. Um, they move around up front a lot. They bring blitzes from different angles, and uh, their secondary is tremendous. It has three guys that are for sure NFL draft picks. Um, Chris Boyd, the corner, will go in the draft, in the next draft. Um, Brandon Jones, the safety, is uh, he's a guy who you'll see a lot this week. They'll bring him down in the box and let him be kind of a, a rover against the run game. Uh, he may leave after this year, his junior year, and go to the pros. Uh, the other corner might go to the pros. Devontae Davis, 6'2", can cover. Um, and now they have this freshman, Caden Stearns, who's uh, might be the best pure talent of the entire secondary. He's still only a freshman, so he hasn't put it all together yet, but he is amazing. And, and then they have actually another freshman named B.J. Foster that you may see some, who's an intimidator. It looks a lot like um, the Texas defenses in like uh, 2005 or 2009 when they had just NFL guys all over the secondary, like uh, you know Michael Huff and Earl Thomas and Aaron Ross. If you guys remember those days, sure. No, those are no doubt talented defenses uh, for Texas back in those days, and uh, by all appearances, uh, holding TCU down like they did, uh, only allowing 16 points. Uh, you know, only allowing three points in the second half. Very impressive performance there for the Longhorns in a in a game where TCU looked really good. Uh, just you know, a, a few weeks ago against Ohio State, moving the ball, uh, you have to be impressed with what you're seeing with Texas on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, Ian, I want to switch uh, to the other side of the ball here and talk about the offense. Uh, last game against TCU, really was impressed with what uh, Sam Ellinger did, uh, moving the ball down the field in, in a game that Texas wasn't really able to get a ton going on the ground. Uh, Ellinger seems to be making strides on that side of the ball for the offense, and it has really proved to be the difference maker for that unit. Yeah, he's been uh, pretty steady this season. He was he showed a lot of flashes last year, but he just left a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths because he, uh, he had game-deciding turnovers against uh, USC, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech at the end of those games. Um so, uh, but I mean, he was a freshman playing behind a terrible offensive line, but you know, you know how fans are. No, oh, um, we know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, he's kind of like a, <laughs> he's kind of like a Kansas State quarterback. He's really tough, smart, 
Um, he's good at a lot of different things, which allows them to easily involve the other talents on the team. If he went to Kansas State, they'd probably just run him 15 to 20 times a game. Uh, Texas, they try not to do that as much. Uh, he probably could do that, but they, they don't do that as much. I mean, he's a better passer than Kansas State tends to have, but that, that's kind of the sort of player he is. He's just a kind of do-it-all spread quarterback. And uh, when he's, you, he's putting a, lot, oh, was, putting a lot together this year. Yeah. Would, would you compare him at all to uh, a case uh, quarterback K-State saw earlier this season that really gouged him, uh, Mississippi State's Nick Fitzgerald? Uh, obviously another big bruiser who can – throw it around enough, but he just ate Kansas State up, especially uh, on those uh, quarterback draw plays, which I yeah. believe he wrote an article about uh, yeah. either this week or last week. Um, yeah, I don't know why Kansas State can't figure that play out. It, we should it, have we – sh- we've seen it enough. Yeah, I should <laughs> – presumably this week they will uh, not vacate the middle of the field on that play. Um, he's probably a little slower than Fitzgerald, a little less involved in the run game, and uh, a better, more accurate passer. So, Ian, you know, you also do a great job covering uh, kind of all of the Big 12 Conference. I kind of want to get your impressions on what you've seen uh, here as the, the season's kind of hit the third way through uh, Mark. What have you seen that's caught your eye so far in the Big 12 Conference this year? Well, I thought it looked like Oklahoma State might be way more competitive than I thought in the offseason, the way that they just crushed the Boise State. Um, but then they, you know, then they turn around and, and get gashed by Texas Tech. I haven't watched that one yet, so I'm, I don't know what to make of that. Um, but most of the league has been pretty much what I thought it would be. I, I think TCU is uh, really similar to last year, but they don't. They can't nail down the uh, defense, run the ball, and protect the ball formula that they worked last year because they don't protect the ball well enough. Um, They're probably more talented this year than last year, and I think that got people really excited in the preseason because they were like, oh, you know, this TCU team is even more talented than they were last year, which is true, but it's not realized talent. It's still too young, like Sean Robinson and Jalen Rager. um, Mm -hmm. They're just not, not ready yet as Texas uh, demonstrated. And um, Oklahoma, I think, is still pretty much who I thought they'd be. They are blowing teams away with athleticism and offense, but I think the season will bear out that their defense is still a mess. I mean, some people say that the Army game showed that. Uh, I don't know if that is totally fair, since they're you know such a unique triple option team and all that. Right, but... But I do think that it will bear out that Oklahoma just lacks uh, soundness and physicality on defense, and that it's going to uh, get them into trouble, probably against you, Texas. You wonder when the Oklahoma program's going to get tired of that softness on defense, which has been a crazy staple of Mike Stoops for going on a decade now, it seems like, at least, um, when when they're going to – try to get a new identity on, on defense to get those athletes actually going out there and having a physical nature. Yeah, well, he struggled. He's definitely struggled there for throughout his tenure, and he's put together some weird units. Um, but I, I 
am very suspicious. Uh, a big part of their collapse really started to happen when Lincoln Riley came. And uh, we've seen it a lot of different places that some of these air raid coaches just do not embrace the kinds of uh, physical practices and culture that you need to to be good on defense. Uh, I've heard from people that have seen Texas practices and uh, Oklahoma practices, and they say that they're just worlds apart in terms of the level of uh, violence and physicality that you see. Um, and that tends to bear out when you watch Oklahoma. Uh, I, I noted on Twitter that uh, this this coach that scouted them once told me that he and the other coaches started laughing watching Oklahoma film a couple years back because the uh, first defensive back to the ball would never make the tackle. Interesting. And, yeah, and you watch Oklahoma now, and once you notice it, you're like, you can't not stop noticing it over and over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I saw your in your first week uh, game recaps, I saw you uh, at somebody about how that would be a fun game to watch uh, as the season plays out. The yeah. first uh, defensive back who who confronts the ball carrier just doesn't have a prayer. Yeah, yeah. Some of that, I think, is they don't emphasize tackling enough. Some of that is that they play a lot of man coverage. Their backs are turned, which makes it harder. Some of it is that they have uh, – they start – since they play so much man coverage, they recruit guys that are built for man coverage, you know. So they've right. got, like, 5'11", 170-pound guys running around out there. It's just this vicious cycle. Yeah. And uh, it's if, – if you like to root against Oklahoma, it can be pretty delightful to watch it. Play yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to watch how that plays out the rest of the way. <laughs> um, but in terms of realistically, in your opinion, how many teams have a shot at, at this conference the rest of the way? I mean, obviously you have Oklahoma, West Virginia, and I think – Texas has to be among those among that group after Saturday for sure. Uh, but but is this a three or four team race now? You know, I I hadn't done that calculus yet. I think you probably just that's probably about right. It's probably going to be Oklahoma, West Virginia, or Texas. Oklahoma State, you know, I don't know. We'll see on them. I guess you know they started. The conference play 0 and 1, so that's not very promising. And a home um, game. Yeah, and a home game. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. I, I hate to rule them out, especially if it's a matter of like a, you know, a second team will get their chance at the Big 12 championship game, and that could be a a, a six and three or a seven and two team. So I'm not totally ready to rule them out. I'm I'm not totally ready to rule out Iowa State, but. Uh, I think Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Texas are the heavy favorites at this point, like you just noted. So, Ian, in some of your work here in the preseason as you were previewing the Big 12 season, uh, Kansas State was a team that you had given a chance to be a contender in the Big 12 conference. Yeah. Uh, so, far, so far here through four games, K-State has looked every bit uh, not under. Uh, what have you seen from them here through the first four games – uh, that you know leaves you kind of scratching your head as as to what's going wrong uh, with both of the offense and the defensive side of the ball. Well, it seems like um, Snyder's assistants have are not in alignment with his vision for the program. Um, I was surprised that they went with Skylar Thompson early in the year and that they thought that that was their best chance. Um, I was able to kind of figure out why they thought that with time. 
but you know, coming off the bowl game, it was like, obviously the best thing for this team is to develop Delton as a passer as much as you can. And, but then just run him and Barnes, you know, 15, 20 times a piece a game and, uh, run the ball and play defense and take some shots. So when they were rolling so much with Skylar Thompson early in the year, I was kind of confused by that. Um, I think now that the reason they're doing that is because they don't have the tight ends and fullbacks that they normally have, which has been really shocking. Um, when they went out against Mississippi State, their tight end like could not secure the edge. Um, they didn't play their fullbacks that much. They tried to play their tight end off the ball because I guess he's the only guy they trust to block, and he's not even that good at it. Um, it's it's really jarring to see a Kansas State team that doesn't have, you know, like a, a former walk-on middle linebacker that's really reliable or a uh, fullback that will bash your head in or a tight end that's basically an extra offensive lineman. Um, and then I, I think that really came to a head in that two-play series where uh, they call in the quarterback sneak on third and one for Skylar Thompson and if you watch the replay, he kind of like waits for the offensive line to try to uh, blow a hole, and then he tries to follow it. Whereas, you know, if you watch like uh, Ertz or Klein execute the Kansas State quarterback sneak, you know, they're all up in the business of the linemen, and they're pushing them from behind. Uh, and then they, so then they send them back out in fourth and one, and then Skylar Thompson audibles out of the quarterback sneak to try and pitch it to Alex Barnes. Um, I've just seen a lot of examples on film where Skylar Thompson takes every opportunity to avoid running downhill through the A and B gaps. And uh, I think Bill Snyder has had enough of that. And he's like, nope, nope, this is not what our program's going to be about. So he's going to roll with Alex Delton. Um, but, you know, as we've seen, Alex Delton is not that great a passer and the blocking around him is not as good as it usually is. So I just I just see a mess. I see a complete mess in Manhattan. Well, I think uh, a lot of K-State fans would agree with you uh, on that. Those of us who have had the pleasure of watching all four games in real time uh, have, uh, have certainly noticed that. And I don't know if you've caught wind of the news this week, but uh, it appears that uh, Snyder has named Delton the starter against Texas. Yeah. And and based on uh, TCU's lack of success running the ball, do you think that uh, that that's a smart move against this Texas uh, defensive beast that you described earlier? Or do you think that uh, actually trying to work through the air would through with Thompson would be a better move? They, I think they have to play Delton. I think it's a very tough question of whether you say, hey, we need to just take our lumps, evolve as a program, move towards being more of a typical spread team, and grow with Skylar Thompson, and maybe lose eight games? Or do we try to do everything we can to squeeze as much value out of the season as we possibly can and play Belton more? Um, that's a big, challenging question for Kansas State. I think that they're going to opt for win as many games as possible because Bill Snyder is... 100 years old and he's not he's not here for the rebuild sure. but um i don't think that they can i i don't think they have any chance against texas if they send skylar thompson out there i texas's ability to blitz and disguise on the back end is too good 
Um, their defensive backs have too much range. I, I think he'll end up running for his life and throwing picks uh, at a at a scorching pace, or just taking sacks if he doesn't want to throw the ball into dangerous spots. Now, obviously, Alex Delton may do that as well, but I think that Kansas State has to do everything they can to make the run game viable, and uh, that that just is not going to happen with Skylar Thompson handing off to Alex Barnes into a defense that knows it's coming. Well, Ian, we're uh, we're wrapping it up here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, before we, before we let you go, we do want to uh, thank you again for your time. Uh, but before you go, uh, what is your prediction for what how you see the K State Texas game uh, folding out on Saturday? I think uh, all three of us here are in the same uh, accordance here that it's going to be a Texas win. Yeah, I think they'll win probably by a lot. Um, the margin will probably depend on. Uh, turnovers by Delton and or Thompson. Um, I think that the Kansas State defense had a had a, at least a solid start against West Virginia and, and they looked much more sound and fundamental than they had against uh, Mississippi State when they looked like, you know, like a like JV Kansas State or something. It was bizarre. Right. Um, so I, I think that they could probably keep it close for a while. But I think that if they don't move the ball, then Texas will wear out the defense and start running over them in the second half. And then if there are turnovers, I mean, that's what that's partly what allowed Texas to pad the margin so much against TCU. Um, so I, I one of the probably one of the better case scenarios for Kansas State is that they hang around until the second half and then Texas blows it open and wins something like a 35 to nine. Wow. So you're like us then, because the line opened at seven, and we were we were pretty surprised to see such a small number. Um, but uh, we're, I think we're in the same camp that uh, we don't see we don't see this as a good matchup uh, if such a thing existed for Kansas State right now. But certainly not against Texas. Yeah, there's been a lot of money to be made over this decade from Texas Kansas State lines. <laughs> yeah, usually on the other side was where the money was to be made. I remember yeah. uh, Kansas State, Texas was favored in 2011, and uh, do, you, do you guys remember that in yep, Austin? Absolutely. Texas yep, was, I was favored at that game. By, yeah, me too. I think they were favored by like eight points, and I was like, unless Colin Klein is dead, and they can't get him on the field at all. I don't see how Texas even plays within a touchdown. And uh, they ended up, I think Texas ended up making it a game, but they lost, of course. And then I think 2012 had a stupid margin, too, where Texas was favored, and it was like, there's there's no way that Texas is going to beat Kansas State and Manhattan against Klein. Well, that was right after uh, K-State's loss to Baylor. Uh, so I think that maybe there were some chinks in the armor people saw in the prior week but uh you know that game went about like uh about like we three expected it to and i think uh, the game on this saturday probably will too maybe their algorithms hadn't accounted for uh lake seastrunk or uh ty zimmerman because uh <laughs> exactly right that that's a that definitely is a game that stings deep for k-state fans too but it was uh it was a perfect storm for baylor that day uh to to catch k-state with with ty zimmerman and I believe Tyler Lockett uh, was a little bit banged up that game as well. Maybe I don't even recall if he played in that one. That Baylor team also went on a tear 
They did down the down the stretch that year because they they started playing Lake Seastrunk, and they also started. Uh, uh, I don't know if they started playing Eddie Lackey or he just started to figure things out. But down the end, down the stretch of that season, Eddie Lackey was like dominant. Yeah, that was good. Baylor turned into a very good team towards the yeah, end. Of then that the, yeah, and then the next year they yep. placed Florence with Bryce Petty, and then that was yeah, off they went. I would I would go as far as saying that that upset of K State for Baylor is really what got their program into the national title chase as they continued to grow. That because they were not even a bowl team at that point, uh, and they had to win out, I believe, to to qualify for a bowl, which they did. And then they I believe they waxed a, a, UCLA. Like a ranked UCLA team, yeah. And then they it's like a Big Twelve they, tradition now is for yeah, exactly. We send some terrible team to go destroy UCLA. Well, except in 2014 when uh, <laughs> Jim Mora just yeah. took uh, Bill Snyder to school in the Alamo. Oh, you're right. I did. I did forget about that. Yeah. Well, Ian, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, we'll be, we'll be, of course, uh, keeping in touch here throughout the rest of the season. I certainly appreciate your time today, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. You bet. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks again to Ian Boyd. Uh, that man knows his uh, X's and O's. He's a uh, He's one of my favorite uh, reads for uh, getting ready for the every weekend in the Big 12. He knows a lot about every team, and especially Texas, and he's also one of the brightest minds um, when it comes to schemes uh, across the country and especially in the Big 12. So really appreciated having him on and giving uh, us his take of this week and uh, where how he sees the game going. And... Uh, Chris, how do you see the game going? Well, uh, I'd like to echo Drew's sentiments. Thank you so much, Ian, for coming on. We appreciate it. But uh, I think Ian hit it pretty well on the head. I think it's going to be really tough for K-State to score offensively uh, against Texas. It's a good unit. Um, I've really rounded into shape uh, here these last two weeks, getting two very impressive wins over USC. Now, granted, not a great USC team, but a USC team that still has quite a bit of talent. And... Obviously, seeing what they did last week against Tech, or against uh, TCU really, uh, really caught my eye. TCU's always got a uh, solid team. They looked very good earlier this season against Ohio State in a game that, if you if you watch that game against Ohio State, it's a game that easily could have gone TCU's way had it not been for on a trick play on a kickoff that got called back for an illegal forward pass. It would have been seven points for TCU. Yeah, I hate when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, not a, not a common thing there, but uh, it definitely was a d- big difference in the game. Uh, I believe Ohio State had two uh, non-offensive touchdowns that ultimately proved to be the difference. So TCU is no slouch by any stretch. And, and yeah, Texas- but you wonder if TCU was maybe reading their own headlines a little bit, kind of uh, kind of like how shades of K State versus OU two thousand one, where everybody was really high after a a nice losing performance. Um, but we'll see. I, I do think TCU's a, still a pretty good team. Yeah, to me, TCU is probably, I'd say probably the fourth best team in the conference right now. You have to put Texas ahead of them. You have to put West Virginia and Oklahoma ahead of them as well. 
but at this point, I have no reason to believe that TCU won't be giving people lots of issues this year and, and could find themselves back in the Big 12 championship game if things go right for them. So be interesting to follow that. But this is a game that's going to be really tough for K-State to move the ball offensively. With all the turmoil going on with the quarterback situation, and you have to wonder where the locker room's at and where you know the minds of the players are a little bit with kind of these big changes and kind of the drama that's uh, surrounding the program at this point. Texas is a very capable team, and I think with everything going, if everything was going well for K State, this would be a tough game. But with uh, the uncertainty at quarterback, the uncertainty all around the offense, it's going to be tough for K-State uh, to move the ball, I think. I think defense will play well, again, keep us in it. I don't, I'm not terrified of Texas offensively. I do worry about them getting some, uh, getting some success on the ground with Ellinger. Uh, Sam Ellinger, their quarterback, who, who did do quite a bit of damage uh, against us on the ground last year. Uh, with some big scrambles and, and some big plays there. But I think K-State has a chance to keep it close. Don't feel great about saying that. So I'm going to go ahead and pit, uh, pick Texas 31-14. Yeah, I think that that's probably in the same ballpark as me. I, th- I look at Texas and I see a team that's pretty physical. Um, and I, I just, this smells like Mississippi State to me. Sure. Um, sure. That's a that's a really good. I mean, that's a really good comparison. I just think. just a solid, good to very good defense. Uh, an offense that's gonna pound you, um, on the ground. And it, I have very little faith that our defense is gonna be physical enough to stop the Texas attack on offense. And. Uh, and on the other side of the ball, it's, I think, going to be more of the same unless something dramatically changes uh, this week where K-State, again, struggles and uh, against going, especially when they're going up against one of the best defenses in the conference. And so I'll throw out a number. I'm not sure we're going to, I don't know how we're, what do you say, 21? I said 31. 31. 31-17 30, 30, yeah, Texas. That's three scores for this uh, offense, and I'm not sure I see that happening. I'll, uh, I'll you, don't, go, you, you don't think Blake Lynch is going to get up there and knock one I'll, through, maybe? I'll, I'll, I'll say he knocks one through. I'll, I'll go uh, 34-10. I'm a slightly lower scoring. But but we see the same kind of game, yeah. I think. Is maybe K-State gets a touchdown in garbage time to validate your prediction. Maybe not. But I, I think K-State's, again, going to go out there and really have a hard time. Because even if it is with Delton, and even if Delton does have more success moving the ball, the one thing Delton has shown this year is that he can't hold on to the ball. You know, he had horrible turnovers against South Dakota. He had a turnover against UTSA. He had a the worst interception I've ever seen against Mississippi State. <laughs> and... Uh, so West Virginia was his first turnover-free game in his limited action. Yeah, and, and you can't you can't clean much from that. No, I mean, because the game's over. West and West Virginia was sitting in a their same yeah. base non un, the, simple defense. It's it's impossible to compare. Really, yeah, absolutely. From what, what Thompson did absolutely, and so I think that Delton's probably going to go make some stupid mistakes like he's made in 
virtually every other game he's played in this season. And I think Texas is going to have a field day against us. And so hope I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope this is just uh, another, you know, episode of K-State starts the season and everybody is, uh, you know, saying the sky is falling and we turn it around and maybe this is where we start. But uh, there's been no evidence to suggest that that's going to be the case, even though Texas hasn't won in Manhattan since 2002. Yeah, and that's it's it's been a long time since Texas has won. Uh, against Kansas State in, in Manhattan, two thousand two. I remember that game pretty darn well. Uh, kicking man, kicking game, and old Chrissy Sims finding B.J. Johnson. That's in right. In that game, he had a he had a big one there. Nice lo- couple couple long passes there that really bailed Texas out. You know, I want to go back to something you mentioned here with uh, Texas. Kind of remind you a little bit of Mississippi State. Uh, K State, of course, lost Mississippi State earlier in the season. That Mississippi State loss, we were thinking, okay, this is a dark horse, maybe playoff contender team. I know you did not. I know you did not. You did not really like their you offense. Didn't, you didn't think you weren't that impressed with Mississippi State. No, I thought that their defense was really good, but their offense—it's going to take uh, a while. Yeah, it's going to take a while, and it—you know—Fitzgerald's performance was um, left a little to be desired, especially through the air. Um, but no, I thought it was a. Good, not great team. Looking back, uh, Mississippi State lost their first game of the season last week on the road in Lexington, Kentucky, 28-17. Uh, Kylan Hill, who ran for 215 yards against K-State, held to 14 yards on four rushes. Oh. Hmm. You know, it... That br- and, and by the way, a quick note here, that brings a Mississippi State's record against uh, Wildcats this year to 1-1. One Oh, for those of you keeping track of home. The, for those of you that keep track of such things. Um, but no, that, that game in hindsight, you know, after Vanderbilt last year, oh, it, everyone was saying, oh, okay, maybe, this is, yeah. maybe Derek Mason's got something here. Mm-hmm. And then they they were on the 230 game the next week against Alabama, against Alabama and they got oh, rocked, and the rest is history. They stunk. Yeah. And so um, I'm think, not saying Mississippi yeah. State stinks because no. I don't think they do, but it's clear that they're not – that they're not some juggernaut team that would have blown the doors off of 80% of the conference that day. No. It, they're they're solidly the fourth best team in the SEC West right now. Yeah. I think I, I, maybe even fifth. And it's clear that they were – it was men against boys against us. And so that – to the extent that you weren't – that that game didn't give you serious concern, maybe we should look back on that through a different lens – right now and be a little worried about the Mississippi State performance. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, it's one of those things. If if Mississippi State goes out there and wins those games, it makes you feel a little bit better about that loss. But uh, uh, it'll be interesting to follow them here the rest of the season. So that will wrap up our Texas uh, preview. Uh, Thanks again to Ian Boyd with giving us the knowledge about Texas. Uh, We'll be back to uh, wrap it up here and get your – Uh, questions on Ask the Icon, and give you a trip down memory lane where we highlight a Wildcat legend here coming after this break on the Short Side Option. All right, welcome back to the Short Side Option, where we are getting ready now for our Wildcat Legend of the Week. Chris, this week's Wildcat Legend, big number 
44, Mr. Quattro Quattro. That's right, we're talking about the fullback at the height. Well, maybe not the height of the Dodd, but certainly in the decade of dominance. The, the end. Towards the, yeah, towards the end. Towards the end. But we are, of course, talking about Mr. Travis Wilson. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Travis? You know, Travis Wilson, uh, you know, a player that goes often uh, underappreciated here by maybe some K-State fans, but we're, we're really excited to tell you, tell you about him. Uh, Travis Wilson uh, actually got his career started uh, at Michigan State. He was a Spartan there. Who was uh, his head coach? None other than Nick Saban. And when Nick Saban left for LSU... Uh, it was K-State's benefit as uh, he transferred to Kansas State, and he paid the way for Darren Sproles and L. Roberson on that vaunted option attack. Often to the short side. Often to the short side. Most, And, you know, if, if you look closely enough, Drew, on our, uh, our artwork here on our podcast, you'll see number 44. Is that right? On a short side option coming around against Texas in 2003. And uh, Travis Wilson was... Uh, you know, very good player, uh, very versatile player too. Also, uh, you know, could catch the ball out of the backfield, could run the ball when asked. But n- no doubt about it, he made his bones carrying or uh, you know leading the leading the way for Darren Sproles on on those sweeps around the end and and getting out there and and getting a path created there on the option. Absolutely, that's that's what we'll certainly remember him for is just some of those sensational blocks that just brought the crowd to their feet every time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he there are a couple of things that stand out in his career to me. Uh, reviewing uh, the uh, 2003 KU uh, game, he had a key five-yard run on a third down there. And he also, uh, you know, had a couple of nice blocks on, on Banks, Floodman, defensive tackle Tim Allen to create space for a couple of L. Roberson touchdowns in that game. Certainly a game that I won't forget anytime soon. Oh, me neither. And I, I spent a good portion of my day uh, watching a uh... – a YouTube video called Travis Wilson KSU Football Highlights 2002 to 2004. Uh, that video is 23 minutes long, um, and it was posted by uh, some YouTuber with the name uh, Travis Wilson. Oh, uh, back really? in 2012. Yeah, I wonder if they're related. They might be related. Uh, but if you guys want a trip down memory lane to see a, a phenomenal fullback then that's your that's the ticket for you and you know you mentioned the Kansas game another game that uh sticks out to me for Wilson is uh his game against Baylor in the 2003 season I believe yeah um but in that game he he had a blocker he took down linebacker Justin Crooks is Roberson rolled out to find James Terry with a 14 yard scoring pass and tackled Willie Andrews uh, later on uh, after a five-yard punt return. And so just a complete performance on, not only on offense, but also on special teams. You know, that's that's the kind of play you, you have to get out of, out of those people in your program. And uh, Travis Wilson was the embodiment of that. He was a, he was a guy that would do whatever the, the team asked for, whether it's, you know, doing it on his own, uh, running the ball, getting a couple first downs here and there, or leading the way for Roberson and Sproles, or covering kicks on, on the punt team. Just a real Swiss Army knife of a of a football player, and somebody we're so proud of, and uh, somebody we're lucky enough to call this week's Wildcat Legend. All right, our next segment, is our final the, segment, and our final segment is where we talk and pose questions to none other than the man himself, the icon, Chris Sork. Listeners can submit questions on Twitter. 
to at TSSO underscore podcast with the hashtag AskTheIcon. And Icon, first question this week comes in uh, from a friend of the show, Big Dog in Madison. Big Dog asks, what do D-Lou and the Icon, <clears throat> and I'll correct uh, Big Dog in Madison, it's actually just the Icon, Ask the Icon. Uh, this is where we post questions to only the Icon. She asks, what do D-Lou and the Icon make of the supposed clash between Snyder and his offensive coaches regarding the quarterback situation? Are you worried this situation will create a lack of trust or other issues within the coaching staff or locker room? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I would encourage folks to read Kellis, uh, Kellis Robinette's article in the uh, KC Star, which Ty Eagle, I know I uh, had referenced that earlier. But, you know, that's a great question, uh, you know, big dog. Thank you for, thank you for that submission. Uh, one of our trusted and, and most loyal listeners here to the Short Side Option podcast. But to get to her question, I think, her? Uh, yeah. You just assume somebody with the name Big Dog in Madison is a, is a woman? Well, why wouldn't you? Man, that's true. So anyway, but uh, as, as we get to that, uh, I think it's great, actually. And I'm going to give you, you might think that's a weird response. It is. It's but, a, go but, on. But here's, here's, nothing's working offensively. Something's got to change. Whether if, if it needs to be some sort of a, of a jump start in terms of, of getting the offense up and running. At this point, we've th- gone through four games and against Power 5 competition. Two games against Power 5 competition, West Virginia and uh, Mississippi State. We have one touchdown drive of 23 yards. One. That can't be right, can it? That's right. It, we have one touchdown drive of 23 yards. In how many games? In two games. Against oh, yeah. Pa- against Power 5 competition. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. And it was, a, it was to it, be it, fair, it was Skylar Thompson. It was. It was. To, it, and Jordy. To Jordy. Uh, there in the, uh, in the uh, southeast corner of that end zone. Um, beautiful pass. Beautiful pass. But, you know, there's got to be something that's changed. And I, I don't like the way it was handled necessarily. I, that, I, that, I don't, that I don't agree with. I think... I think that uh, any time that the coach is going directly up to the coordinator or, or directly going up to the quarterback and bypassing the coordinators making a change is not the best way to handle it. So I, I don't like that. However, I do think something needs to happen uh, in terms of you know doing something with the offense. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, Coach Snyder, he's ultimately the man responsible to it. He is the head coach. And... He's taken reins of the situation here by uh, by inserting Alex Delton as a quarterback. Don't really like the way it's executed, but now we don't have a problem with the move. No, I don't have a problem with him changing, and I think that now uh, when he, if if K State goes out and does nothing offensively, which stands a pretty good chance that that might be the case, when we look at uh, his press conference uh, after that game, it'll be interesting to see how uh, answers may change. And also, too, I'm not counting out Skylar Thompson to, to be getting a run in this game and, and to maybe getting, uh, getting in there, uh, depending on how the game's going. I, I don't have any doubt that if we're through you know three or four possessions and Alex Dalton has not done anything and the offense is stagnant, 
Skylar Thompson's probably trotting out there. So I think the quarterback battle is wide open. I don't think it's an open and shut case by any stretch. And it's simply uh, just, you know, nothing's working. We're going to try Alex this week. And to piggyback off that question a little bit, uh, Alex at ACB91 uh, asks, who's the quarterback you believe gives us the best chance to win the rest of the season and why? The best, the person I think that gives us the best chance to win this season is Alex Dalton. Uh, I was very surprised when Skylar Thompson won the the job out of out of uh, fall camp. I had, had I and I believe you as well would would go as far as saying it was it was a pretty big upset. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I thought just coming into the season that Delton gave us the chance to win the most games just based on the composition of the rest of the offense. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was surprised to see Thompson get the nod out of camp. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why I think Delton is the the best option for us to win this year. Now, this gets into the argument, you know, do we really, what's the difference between going four and eight and getting Thompson more acclimated, possibly, or going six and six, or maybe winning the seventh or, you know, six or seven games with Delton, and then we're just in the same kind of, uh, situation next year, but to answer to answer uh, Alex's question there, I think um, I think Dalton's the best the best choice for this season, due to what we currently have constructed on our offense in terms of weapons. Uh, I'm still waiting. I think as long or along with uh, the rest of K State Nation to see where this this offensive line is that was supposed to be one of the best in the Big Twelve. When's this going to start showing up? Um, is it going to show up? I, I think at this point you seriously have to wonder if, if it's just going to be this way all season. So I think that Alex Dalton probably gives us the best chance to win. But honestly, I don't know if either quarterback gives us a great chance to win. Because it, it, it's kind of tough to see the offense performing unless the, the offensive line really starts carrying carrying the load there. Definitely. As we alluded to earlier, I think quarterback play, while not good, um, is uh, relatively lower on the list of issues on offense uh, and the problems associated with scoring. Um, so either one you choose, you're still not in great shape, unfortunately. Um, moving on uh, along these same lines... Steve Becker at sbecker87 asked, who's the most likely casualty of the quarterback controversy? Is it Bill, Andre, Alex, or Skyler? Well, great question there, uh, Steve. Thank you so much for submitting. Well, I don't think Bill Snyder's going anywhere unless he decides that he's going someplace, unless he decides he's going to retire. Alex Dalton wouldn't expect him to transfer really anywhere at this point. So that leaves us with two, two answers here, uh, two possible answers, at least in my estimation, uh, Andre Coleman and Skylar Thompson. It's been reported, or I don't know if it's been reported, but it's been said that uh, Skylar Thompson has, is on track to graduate, actually, with a degree and have, uh, have the ability to transfer with two years to play, eligibility-wise. Wow, that's kind of rare. You know, they, they get these kids on campus, you know, if, if they come in with some college credit already. But they have these kids in summer school. And you see it oftentimes in, in basketball, too, where, you know, they, these kids get there and 
they're able to graduate by the time they're, they're juniors because of the credit they had coming into college and then with the, the coursework that they do in the summer to get ahead. And if they're not you know, happy with the situation, a coach leaves or playing time's not there, they're able to transfer and play, you know, immediately at, at a different school. So I don't want to, you know, put words in, in Skylar Thompson's mouth. I, I think that there's been a lot of speculation that he could, in fact, transfer. Uh, and I would, I would expect him to have considered that. You know, if he doesn't feel like, you know, he's more of a passing quarterback. K-State, quite frankly, does not have the infrastructure on the roster right now to be a good fit for that. I mean, I don't I don't think you could really disagree with that. No, I agree. And although uh, the offensive line has been better in prep. Yeah, the offensive but if no one's open, what's it matter? <laughs> if no one opens if no one's open, what's it matter? And also we have taken quite a few sacks this year too. Yeah. So that's while they've been better, it's not a high bar. Yeah. And in terms of Andre Coleman, it's his first the guy's been a position coach at K State. Uh, since he joined the staff, and this is his first year calling plays. Uh, I don't expect that he's going anywhere, but if if these stories of of you know Coach Snyder going over over the offensive coordinator's head for personnel decisions is is portrayed accurately, and I have no reason to doubt that, that would get a little tough to work for. So I would put it about at the same even odds that uh, that Coleman. And, uh, and 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 Skyler would have chances of leaving. I'd actually I I backtrack on that. I would say it's probably more likely that Skyler leaves than Coleman. Yeah, and and if I'm hearing you correctly, then it's uh, basically if you're not with Snyder, then it your outlook doesn't look great with K State, at least from uh, your view. Uh, we'll move on to our next question. Listener Brady asked. Bill seemed negative after the loss and calling out his players for, for poor performance. Usually he seems to be more negative after wins and more positive after losses. Should we take anything more than surface level from Bill's comments after the West Virginia game? It's a really good, really good it's point a of view. Great point. I, I hadn't looked at it that way, but that it, once uh, once you hear Brady's question there, uh, it definitely you know makes you think about that. That is. Interesting. I hadn't quite thought of it that way, and to be quite honest with you, uh, it's something I hadn't paid a, a lot of attention to, I guess. But to answer Brady's question, I don't take much other than just their surface-level comments. Um, it, it was a little bit interesting to hear Coach uh, say, you know, I can't coach a team that can't get six inches. That, uh, that's a comment you might have expected from Snyder 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, when he had a little bit younger, had a little bit more fire. If you watch uh, the Miracle in Manhattan uh, documentary put on by Dan Youngman, you'll see a completely different Coach Snyder in those early days. Yeah, it's I I loved that part of it because you see Snyder in '91 and '92 where he snapping was back at reporters, just really chippy, just yeah. really getting after people, and you know had a real chip on his shoulder and a fire about him that was really. Aside of him, for somebody who was three years old at the time and only started becoming, getting into K-State football around 96, 97, uh, I never, that's a side of Snyder I never saw. And so seeing that in the video was uh, a different side of him. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't take much into those comments. That that certainly caught my eye. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. Maybe uh, maybe we get a, a little bit more of a, of a chipper Coach Snyder now where he's he's uh, going after folks and and questioning the team. I don't, I don't necessarily like that he's questioning the team per se, but... You know, certainly everyone's frustrated. Uh, fan base is frustrated. There's no doubt the players are frustrated. Uh, they're the ones that are out there sacrificing, and they're the ones out there performing. And you, you they, they want to do well as badly as anyone. And it, it's a frustrating time right now. They know that they haven't uh, played as well as they're capable of, and they want to get it right. So I, uh, I, I, I feel for that. So we'll be interested to see how it, how it goes here the rest of the season uh, in terms of that. Right. If if nothing else, uh, the loss on Saturday was uh, disappointing and ugly. But uh, the what happened afterward has certainly made for great theater. Uh, and then we'll get into our final question, and I think the most high level, um, sophisticated question that we were asked this week from listener Weems. Uh, Weems asks, of the two mascots this week, which would win in a fight? And he contends that Wildcats uh, would have agility and athleticism on their side. But is that enough to take on the sheer size of a Longhorn? Wow. That, that, that's something that you know, we expect uh, from, from Williams. We expect questions that, are, that push us. If only we could have asked this question to Ian Boyd. That, he might have had a nice little you know, diagram about what... Uh, you know what the wildcat has to do to be successful, uh, you know, against the longhorn. But the, to me, the sheer size of the longhorn is gonna gonna t- gonna win the day here. I, I don't think that there's there's much question. They can they can hook you with their horns, hook them, and uh, they can they can they can just lay on it too. As far as that goes, that's true. Yeah, they they could just plop right on. We'll uh... get get the, get the cat by the tail. Yeah. Now I'm I'm wondering is this is this actually an, an actual Wildcat, like uh, a I'm, I'm touchdown think, might have been, or is it is it the humanoid Willy hybrid? I, no, I'm thinking I'm thinking it's the alive version of Phil, the Bobcat. Yeah, that's what that's just what one on one. Yeah, one on one. Oh, then it's yeah, Longhorn sheer size. I Take, mean, wins the day. I think I think relatively clearly. Yeah, it's 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 a. I mean, Phil could use Willy. Yeah, yeah, he could use he could use a couple more fills too, as far as that goes. <laughs> yeah, but if it, if it's Bevo versus uh, live Phil, it's it's Bevo's just land. The, the finishing move is just Bevo <laughs> just plopping right on, crushing him, crushing him. Yeah. yeah. So good night. Yeah, good night, and uh, it, that's all she wrote uh, as as Bevo just sits there and chomps on some grass. <laughs> just looking, being, pre- looking pretty satisfied with just himself. Just being lazy. Yeah. I, I swear, I think Bevo is the laziest of all, of just about any mascot around. Because all he does on Saturday is he just lay, he just lie, he just sits down all the whole game. Like, even with Ralphie, you know. He, he at least does something. He, he's Leads running the around. Field. But but Bevo, he just waltzes on, he just waltzes onto the forty acres and plops down for three and a half hours. He's got a little fan on him every now and then too. <laughs> yeah. he, he's living right. He's living right, but it's, is that really any way to live? If you're Saturday, I mean, 
It's you know what? To be fair, it's not a lot different than than I look on Saturdays. Yeah, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I'm just plopped down on a couch watching football. No different than I guess. Yeah, it's, we're all we're all kind of Bevo in our own ways. Yeah, I guess in, in so. Our own, you know, individual ways. It's it's hard for me to criticize Bevo at all, but man, I, I just never see him doing anything but laying down. Get a job. Get a job. Well, he he's uh. He's well-revered there. He's a good animal. He is. He is. Absolutely. Well, that'll wrap it up for this uh, edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, we, we covered a lot here, and, you know, with the way things are going with K-State in terms of kind of the public uh, drama that we've got going on here, it's given us some, some interesting topics to, to discuss. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, K-State is able to uh, surprise it would be a surprise to Ian. It would be a surprise to, to you. It would be a surprise to me. And uh, go out there and, and make this a competitive game for four quarters. Maybe Steele will win against what's a pretty good Texas team, ranked number 18 in the nation here as they come into Manhattan. Going to be a tough ask, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I would hate to say that this is kind of a must-win game here for K-State, but it, it's it's getting about to that point. This was the game we all had circled is is the real make or break for K-State season in terms of if it was going to be a – well, I guess we all thought it was whether it was going to be a 9-10 win season maybe or a 7 or 8 win season, but now it's – is this going to be when we're going to need to get to 6 wins or is is it – is a loss here going to sink us further and set our sights on four or five? Yeah, just trying to scrape for scrape around for a bowl appearance. So uh, we'll be back next week to review the Texas game and look forward to uh, the Baylor Bears as K-State heads back out on the road next week as they go to Waco to take on a Baylor team that is 1-0 in conference play after coming off of a, a victory against Kansas uh, this past week. So they, uh, the Bears will be in Norman this week against OU. Uh, big, big underdog there. So uh, probably coming off a loss when they welcome the Wildcats to Waco. Uh, we'll preview that and uh, review the Texas game next week's, on next week's edition of the Short Side Option. Thanks for listening. And uh, please feel free to connect with us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. And on Facebook at the Short, short Side Option as well there. For Chris Sork and Drew Lewis, thanks for listening to this edition of the Short Side Option. Days like, days like-